Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that prayer. Jesus uh, still making quite an impact. Is he not? I know he is on my heart. I know he is on yours. Well, I also uh, hope that you guys had a great Christmas. Hope that you had some good family time. Hope that you got the gift either that you really wanted or the gift that you really needed. Maybe both. We had a blessed Christmas in our house. It's always a good time to uh, spend with family. We always enjoy a good meal together and have a lot of laughs. And then, um, of course, this year for us, we got to celebrate our first grandchild and watch her tearing paper open and things like that. Um, so that's always a lot of fun. And we're very blessed. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, I am going to kind of start, I guess, a, a, the book of 2 Peter. Um, and it is kind of a series. It's not just a book study. And it's a series in the sense that I'm not going to study it uh, in, as in-depth as we usually do with Bible book studies. Um, I really want to hit the major themes in this book of 2 Peter because I think that they really speak to where we are today. And let me just tell you why 2 Peter. I, it kind of came out of nowhere, honestly. I, was, I, I thought I had some direction for... Um, for sermons and you know with COVID things just kind of took a different route. We were in Corinthians and there's some things that I think it's important for us to, to study together, learn together as a whole family, and not everybody can be present with us, so it just kind of uh, went a different route with some things. Second Peter. So um, in October, Lisa and I were having our devotion in the morning and we were reading out of a Ted Tripp book. And of course October, uh, this was 28th, October 28th, and this is building up, this is election season, you know, just building up in here, inundated with all the drama of the election and all that's going on in the political world. And our, our year 2020 has not been without its spectacular drama. So we read this devotion, and with the devotion, there's always a scripture to read that it's based on. First, we read the devotion, and then he offers a scripture. And the scripture was out of 2 Peter, verses 1 through 11. And in light of where we were, or at least where I was culturally, and say maybe psychologically and spiritually, all that was going on, I listened and read these 11 verses. And it really struck a nerve in me. What Peter said just really struck a nerve in me in, in a good way. And sometimes scripture can strike a nerve in me in, in a bad way, uh, in the sense that it brings heavy, heavy conviction, and it's something I have to do. Um, but sometimes scripture can strike a nerve in us in a really good way, in the sense that there was something that God illuminated in his word that we needed to hear as a means of encouragement and refreshing. Not as a means of straightening us out in, in, in a disciplinary way, but as a means of calling us to something better. And I listened to these words and I was just so excited. And it reminded me of, have you ever like, um, say, it's wintertime now, and you get out your, your winter clothes and you reach into your pants pocket or your jacket pocket, and lo and behold, there's a $20 bill. 
And it's so encouraging. I mean, $20. You can't go out with $20 these days. But it's encouraging because you didn't expect it to be there. And so now it's kind of like free money. You know, I forgot I had this. Now I have it. I can do anything I want with it. It's not allocated for anything. As opposed to reaching into your pocket finding a bill. I forgot about this bill that I owe. So it, in a sense, it's something unexpected. And it's gained. It, it, it's gained. It's it's a reason to rejoice. Now, this um, this passage, this book really, in the passage, I'm going to read the first 11 verses in shortly. Uh, but it, it has the word work written all over it because it, Peter's going to encourage us to grow. And everybody knows growth only happens with some kind of work. Now, there is <coughs> organic growth where things just happen if you plant seeds in the ground, they're going to grow. That's what they're designed to do. But they grow best after you have done the hard work of tilling the soil, getting the proper pH and fertilizers and so forth, all that application, the sweat of your brow, and then the organic growth will take place. And then there's other growth that just really requires going to the gym. It requires discipline. It requires choices. Uh, so if, if, it's, if work is required, how can it be so refreshing? Well, it was very refreshing to me, and I trust will be refreshing to you, this entire book, because what it's going to do is if our minds have been, say, perhaps distracted by all that's happened in our world, and if you haven't been distracted, I want to drink whatever you're drinking. <laughs> because... How can you not be distracted? We're human, right? And when you have neon signs practically in your face all the time, it's hard not to be distracted. And it's refreshing because it will, I believe these words are just going to kind of refocus us on what is really important, what life is all about, what God requires of us, what He's looking for us, and what He's doing in us. Because... As active as our political climate and our cultural world really climate is, the kingdom of God is way more active. You get into Augustine's book, you know, The City of Man and the City of God. The City of Man represents man's motivations without God, the secular uh, kingdom building. But the kingdom of God is much more active. He is at work in our hearts in a big, big way. His is the only plan that cannot be stopped. Nobody else can make that claim. No nation, no, no king, no monarch, no president, no, no military. Nobody else can make that claim but Christ. And that's exactly what's happening. So it was so refreshing to read these words and realize, oh yeah, God is up to something and still up to something big. And and what, it was refreshing also because I realized that immersing myself in what God had to say, his headlines, his news, his meeting material, it actually gets you somewhere. You're not on that, that gerbil wheel where you're just sweating and running and, and only to find out you look back and you haven't even gotten anywhere. That's kind of where what our world likes to do. I realize, you know, immersing my mind, giving my mind to this, letting myself be absolutely captivated with what God's revelation is saying to me 
gets me somewhere in the sense that it bears fruit, good fruit, useful fruit, fruit that brings blessing to our hearts. And this book really calls out to us because Peter reminds us of our calling and our election. And there are so many things in our world that are calling out to us. We want you to join this fight. We want you to join this fight. This is crucial. The world's going to collapse if you don't donate to this cause or show up for this rally or whatever. Everything that we gain is lost. But the Bible calls out to us as well. If you're a Christian, you have a calling, and it's not to the world. Your calling is to Christ. Your calling is to the church, the bride of Christ, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what our focus should be. And so I'm reading these words as one who had been distracted, as one who had kind of got caught up in all of the drama, and let the circumstances be the source of my joy, my joy or my dread. And I read these refreshing words that called out to me. And I realized that the things that I had been reading and witnessing and the things that are going on in the world, the reason it calls my heart to sink is because they aren't rock solid. There is not certainty in them. So you have... The joy of, oh, COVID numbers are going down. Now they're going back up. But no, now they're going down. No, but now they're going back up. And it's a roller coaster there. And the stock market is, oh, it's up. No, it's down. Oh, it's up. My retirement is up. There goes my retirement. And there's no certainty in these things. And the election, oh, some, such and such is ahead. And now look, the other person's ahead. This person is expected to win. And, the, and you just have all of this tumultuous news and stuff going on and flat and, and just like in a, a dryer, you know, it's just going around in my mind and it's touching and all the emotions and all the nerves. And then here comes God's rock solid word where he says that actually if you if you believe this and you act on this, it will get you here. It's it's certain. And Peter's going to talk about promises that God makes. And it's no secret that not only are people kind of up in arms and it's the news all over the place, but generally speaking, people aren't as nice as they used to be anymore about what they believe in, the things that they're passionate about. It's not really like in vogue to be really passionate about things, but it's in vogue to be mean if, to the other people if they're not as passionate as you are about the things that you are passionate about. And as I thought about how feisty and spicy and mean our culture is becoming about certain issues, lo and behold, what pops into my mind but the purple dinosaur? Lauren, who's old enough to remember the purple dinosaur? Okay, I'm seeing some, because you should be about, you know, late teens, 20s in there. And I thought, what happened to the generation that was raised on this theme song? I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you, won't you say you love me too? I love you, you love me, we're best friends like friends should be, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you, won't you say you love me too? And I thought, what happened to the generation that was raised on these loving, hugging words? Now they are throwing things at each other. 
It's a culture is becoming more and more violent, is it not? And violence has a justification. People are justified based on new morals and new ways of reasoning, perfectly justified in bringing harm to other people. So we have all these camps, we have all these fighting, it's political division, and if you haven't noticed, yes, there's division in the church. It has gotten us. It's gotten Christians. There's divisions, there's sides, there's fighting in the church. And that's not to say we can't believe different things. There's absolutely room for that. But there are certain... There's a blanket of morality, of principles, of guidelines that we are to follow that offer us the unity in Christ that is to be had. And so when I look at the things the world causes so much stress and anxiety, and then I come to God's Word, and, and the weariness... So scripture, though the world calls out to us to be very involved in it and what's happening in the city of man, so to speak, scripture calls out to us, hopefully, with a louder voice. And in this revelation of Peter's, we we find not just, it's not a survival kit. It's not how can you survive when times are so bad. No, this is how you grow. This is actually, you're going to come out better. The kingdom of God doesn't stop for these things. This is how you can grow. And he's going to talk about the possibility of not growing. The possibility of not being affected for the kingdom. The possibility that you, you read so much in Scripture about fruit. Well, there's also things in there about not bearing fruit, or Peter will say unfruitful. So, um, just to kind of wet our whistle, of course, we're not going to cover all these verses. I will, time permitting, try to cover a few of the uh, verses here in the reading after I continue with my uh, introduction. Just to kind of wet our whistle, I want you to hear the words of Simon Peter as I heard them on October 28. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here, you know, you think, when you think about all things in the world, then all of a sudden, like these words just kind of frame life. Everything you need for life, God has it. Where have you been looking for it? What have you been relying on? You want certainty? You want security? They're in the precious, just not just precious, but great promises of God. Tremendous promises that God has made. And I was so grateful that God used that to, to hem me in, to rule me in, to refocus what life is all about. So that's where we're headed in 2021. And just a few more things, and I already mentioned it, and I just want to let you know that I'm going to, I'm going to actually explain the, the larger themes that I really want to focus in on. Uh, I don't have many sermons advanced, I mean, uh, prepared in advance. I'm not exactly sure how many, but we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to try to keep it to a dozen sermons and get through the book. We'll see. I'm not making any front great promises or precious promises for that. But that's really what I want. I, I don't, my tendency is to get caught because it's the royal treasury scripture and there's something in every verse and I think, well, we got to have it. can't miss that. And God said it to us. So, but I really want to concentrate on the major themes. And secondly, um, the, the beautiful theme what I see in this entire book <clears throat> The, the major theme and purpose is to equip the saints to grow in the knowledge and glory of Christ. You're going to see this word knowledge pop up several times in this book. And we want to take, we, of course, we think we know what that means, but we're going to take a little time, spend a little time uh, with exactly what does Peter mean by this, because a lot of what he says hinges on this word knowledge. And it's not the catch-all, like if you just know something about Christ, we, we already know that's not necessarily enough in and of itself. And yet Peter sees this word as being very, very important. And Peter wants to keep, th these are the words that at this day and age, in that day and age, when he lived and the saints lived, these are the words that Peter felt were very important for them to hear. This is what God used Peter to speak to them during this time of writing. So, most prominently, 2 Peter 3.18, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So that's kind of like a conclusion to this book. That's where we're ending. And a lot of what he says is guilty. shows us how to make that happen. How to grow and how to glorify God. That's why we exist. And he's going to talk about, as I said, being ineffective and unfruitful. And there's qualities that we are to be eagerly desiring and, and, and aggressively possessing and conforming to that will enable us not to be ineffective. And there was that lengthy list that I already read. So here's an example of something we need to know. And I said knowledge is very important. So what's one example that Peter uses? 
Well, verse 20, he says, knowing this, here's one of the things we need to know. That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's something that saints need to know about how the world works, how Christianity works. And that is about the veracity of the Word of God. That is, it really comes from God. And, and it's not a mixture of man's wisdom and God's wisdom. It's straight from the throne of God. God speaking to you. And so we have to look at Scripture not as a book of opinions. And a lot of people look at Scripture as, well, that's just man's opinion. It's not just man's opinion. Now, if you want man's opinion, you can go anywhere else for it and you'll get plenty of it. This is God's holy word. So Peter is going to draw us to relying on it, depending on it, going to it. Uh, God's not a man that he should change his mind. One of Millie's fair verses. She hardly gets up here without quoting that. Numbers. It's 2319, I think. God's not a man that he should lie. No son of man that he should change his mind. Uh, what's the rest of it? Does he promise to not fulfill? Does he act and not come through? It's my paraphrase. I can't remember that. <laughs> He doesn't change his mind. What he says is true from the royal treasure. Now, one of the things that is so frustrating about our culture is how confusing things are. You read, you read this science. Look, look to the science, and you read this is science, and then you read contradictory science, and then you read this opinion about what it takes to get us back on track. And there's so many opinions that contradict each other, and it's in areas that we're not used to, like the medical community doesn't usually contradict itself like what we're seeing now. The scientific community doesn't usually contradict itself. Even the political divisiveness is not usually this heated. So we're seeing a new ground here, and not a good way. It's calling people to be very disoriented, very confused, get to the point where I'm fed up. I don't believe any of it, and I'm not even interested in it ever, anymore. Well, let's get back to God's view of the world. What should we be doing with our mind and our time? So we'll spend some time on that revelation. So having established the need for growth in chapter 1, Peter looks at that and uh, drawing us back to God's Word. He moves into warnings in chapter 2 about what? What do Christians need to be really careful because if chapter 1 things help you to grow, there are things in chapter 2 that will stunt your growth. What is it? False teaching. False teaching. There's always false teaching. Jesus talked about it. All the apostles talked about it. In other words, it's here to stay. God doesn't say that he's going to remove it. But what he does say is you need to be careful of it. You need to learn to discern so in order to do that, we need to know what God really says. What is the truth? Because false teaching is a train wreck. And I've watched it train wreck Christian lives. We have to be careful with that. And I think we'll be surprised at how much um, 
Peter's descriptions of false teaching, things that people say, the effects of what they say, the motivation of why it's said, and what happens when people believe it, how it really relays with our times. You know, we hear a lot about lies and fake news and, and deception and so forth these days, and you're going to see what is behind all of that in chapter 2. And of course, it'll draw us back to the Word of God that you can trust. So we're not just left out there and never, never land. A, a lie from the pulpit is a lie. A lie from a news reporter is a lie. And Scripture teaches us that lies are harmful. Deception is harmful. It's not, it doesn't nourish the human spirit. It stifles and poisons the human spirit. So we'll talk about the destructiveness of that. And then, in chapter 3, Peter will also let us in on, you ever wondered, what does God think about sometimes? What goes on in the mind of God? What does He think about when He looks down and sees all of the things that are going on, especially when we talk about deception and lies and, and evil motivation? Well, in chapter 3, Peter's going to kind of lay it out with the word judgment. God is aware of all the things that are happening. We don't hear a lot about judgment these days. But Peter's going to help us understand what God is up to. You know, one of the things that when COVID first came out is was on a lot of Christians' minds is, is this judgment. Is this a kind of form of judgment? And I think any, anything, uh, you know, there are different degrees and manifestations of God's judgment. And anything that happens in this capacity is to cause us to focus on God. It's a really, it's a grace when tragedies happen, when our lifestyles are, are changed or altered, it causes us to reflect. That's the point, is to cause us to reflect and to turn back to God. Instead of just maintaining a course in the wrong direction. So God's judgments are always merciful and always gracious no matter how much they hurt and no matter how inconvenient they are. So we'll, we'll receive a good reminder of what goes on in God's mind, what God intends to do with all of what's happening, especially in the light of evil of the city of man. I can't help but to wonder as we think about, you know, one of the forms of God's judgment is to just turn man over to his own sinfulness and, and no longer restrain. Because God's a restrainer of sin. If you think the world is evil now, you haven't seen anything yet because in his common grace, he actually restrains evil. But there are also times when he turns people over and says, okay, if that's what you're going to do, you're determined to do it, then go ahead. We've seen evil peak, I think, in our culture. We're actually getting a taste of what it looks like to not be a Christian culture like we never had before. As you see people react and respond and behave in certain ways. So what's happening to us? I think about um, you know, the generations that came before us have often been, you know, they've been studied and analyzed and been called the happiest generation. And these are generations of people that went through uh, eras of depression, went through wars. And you think, well, how can people so be 
be so content and so happy with life when they lived in the midst of tragedies. And yet we live in a culture that has more than anybody that came before us. I mean, more than anybody, and yet are less satisfied and less content. Yep. And I think it's that. Some kind of judgment? Is God giving us over to our sins to where we actually are, are heaped? Talk about gifts under the tree. You know, we just have all these gifts, and yet they are meaningless. They don't connect with us. So that even the wonderful things and the good things and the blessings that we have in this world are not understood or seen or enjoyed as blessings? That sounds like a curse to me. And that is something that we are experiencing. And then Peter closes with this before in verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I love that. Don't get carried away with all the things that are going on, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. So in short, that's the exhortation of this book. Don't get carried away by this. We want you to grow in Christ. The world is not stable. Why turn to it for security? It's built on sand. So we'll look at this book as driving us in the right direction. This is something that's worthy of our time that will not bring anxiety and stress, but will bring a reward, will bring blessing. And I'm grateful for God's Word. And I pray that He will use this in our lives in a mighty way. That He will refocus. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the reading as I said I would. I can see I'm running out of time here. I'll save that for next time. But I want to close with this. It's, it's a scripture that God often brings to my mind. It's just a clear teaching from Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all the other things will be added unto you. There, there, there's a prioritizing that takes place in the Christian life. And Jesus is, all I have is Christ who saying this morning. The triune God needs to be on top of it all. He needs to be getting the, the, the majority, the bulk, just like our tithes and our offerings, our tithing of our intellect, the tithing of our energy. He needs to be on top of it all. The other things, if they switch around, you know, the, the carrot before, course before the cart, so to speak, or the cart before, before the horse, then life just gets disarrayed. And there's a lot of anxiety and tension. So the exhortation, really, of this book is to put Christ first. What is our biggest burden? What is, is pushing us down? What's causing anxiety? Bring it under the reign and rule of Christ. He offers shalom. He offers peace. It's a well-being and a flourishing. And based on the promises of this book, Peter's going to show us that even in the midst of, of tumultuous times, and by the way, what we're experiencing, this, this doesn't even compare to the potential anxiety of the saints that Peter's writing to. I mean, their world was really enough people. We're just getting a taste of it. 
And he is saying you can bloom and blossom for the glory of God in the midst of this. That's what I want to do. And I'm turning to God and to his revelation to lead us through this time to hang on every word from the Apostle Peter and to encourage our souls. And may God bless the preaching of the word. And I'm excited about this stuff. Thank <laughs> you.